0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with all of you a trip down to Mississippi with Carrie, Uh, and the congregation there seems very kind, very nice, they're going to take good care of him, and my goodness, that's loud, how's that, that's better. (laughs) They're going to take good care of him, he's going to be good for them, but there's no place quite like home, so it's good to be back with you all. If you haven't already done so, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. As many of you are aware, Aurora and I spent much of last summer renovating our house, and any time we're renovating or any I'm working on the house, I generally have a pencil either stuck behind my ear or tucked up in my hat. You know, it just makes things easier to get to when I need to take down measurements or mark on a piece of wood. Well, this day was no exception. I was running around the house getting stuff done, pencil behind my ear, and I heard something on the other side of the house, went to go check on it, and found my son, hammer in one hand, screwdriver in another with a pencil, green crayon, stuck behind his ear. It's moments like that that I'm struck with two pretty distinct emotions. A sense of fear. (laughs) Why you laugh? A sense of fear, but also a sense of pride. A sense of fear because I'm reminded that my child is watching everything I do, that he's similar to a blank slate that I'm continuously writing upon with everything I say, my attitude, and everything that I do. And I suspect that for those of you who are parents, you've had a similar experience where a little bit of fear sunk in because, ooh, he is doing, or she is doing everything that I'm doing and paying way more attention than I thought. But I'm also struck with a sense of pride. You know, they say that the sincerest, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And I suppose that's because within imitation, there's an element of, I like you, and I want to be like you. And so when I see my son imitating me, and I suspect whenever you see your children imitating you, there's also a sense of pride. You're, you're kind of worn from the inside out. Your heart is full because your child is saying, I like you, and I think you're great, and I want to be just like you. You know, children imitate their parents because it's through imitation that they come to understand what it means to be adults, how they're supposed to live in this world, what it, what it means To be mature. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We've been called to be imitators of God. To, to seek to look like him. I wonder, I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what he feels as he looks down at us and sees his children attempting to imitate him. I, I wonder if his heart isn't filled a little bit. I wonder if he isn't warm from the inside out as he watches his children seek to be like him. What does it mean to imitate God? How do we imitate Him? We imitate Him through imitating His Son. When Christ came to this earth, He lived a life that we are to seek to emulate. And in doing so, we come to understand what it means to be mature. But but what exactly does that look like? Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read verses 25 through 28. Matthew chapter 20. If you're using one of those black Bibles underneath the seat in front of you, That's page number 825, Matthew chapter 20. Now to kind of set up what's taking place here, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, have come along with their mother to Jesus and have made a a rather bold request. They've asked if they could become the second and third most powerful men in Jesus' kingdom, if they could sit on his left and on his right. And Jesus is about to tell them that they don't quite understand what what they're asking for and is going to express to them what it means to be powerful in his kingdom, what it means to be great in his kingdom. But within that, we're also going to get a glimpse of what it means to imitate him. Picking up in verse 25. But Jesus called to them and said, "'You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant.'" And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If ever there was a man who deserved to be served, It was Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords, if ever there was someone who had the right to come to this earth and say, serve me, it was him. Yet he comes not to be served, but to serve. To imitate Christ is to be a servant. That's a lot easier said than done sometimes. I don't know about you, but there are some people that I readily serve. I'm happy to serve them. I love them, they love me. I kind of know in the back of my head that if if I serve them, they're probably going to serve me back. But there's some people that I struggle to be a servant towards. People who I don't quite get along with as well. Who Our personalities just kind of clash. People who I know that if I serve them, they're probably not going to serve me back. And there are some days that are easier to serve than others. Some days where I wake up saying, "I can't wait to do that." You know, I go to the soup kitchen, I put in my time there, pat myself on the back as I walk out. You know, I put in my eight hours. I'm not sure that clocking in and clocking out is quite what Christ had in mind. But nevertheless, there are some days when I'm happy to serve. But there are some days when not so much. Serving others, putting somebody else before yourself, doesn't exactly come naturally. We're kind of wired and programmed to look after, number one, to take care of ourselves before everybody else, to take care of my needs before I take care of yours. It's kind of unnatural to serve others, to live a life of service. And yet, isn't the essence of Christianity choosing to deny that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness. My child, my son, he loves chocolate. I suppose he comes by it a little naturally. But there in our dining room, is a little candy jar that holds Hershey's Kisses. And every once in a while, most days actually, he'll come to me and say, hey, can I have a piece of candy? And some days I say, yeah. Some days I say, no, not this time. Well, in the times when I say no, he's faced with a choice. Does he put the candy back in the candy jar? Or does he eat it anyways? Now, does he want to put the Hershey's Kiss back in the candy jar? Of course not. He wants to eat the chocolatey goodness that is a Hershey's Kiss. So when he chooses to put it back in the candy jar, he's communicating a level of love and care for me. Now, certainly there's an element of a desire to not be disciplined, but there's also an element of a desire to please me and show me how much he cares and loves for me. When we choose to deny that which comes natural, in pursuit of holiness, we communicate to God, we love you, we think you're awesome, and we want to be just like you. My guitar teacher called the ring finger the stupid finger. Because it's not used to working on its own. It's used to grasping things and working together with the other fingers. Yet, when we're learning guitar, we have to learn to use that finger a little bit independently of the others. That takes practice. Things that don't come naturally require practice. And the idea of living a life of servitude, of choosing to deny that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness, is no exception. It's an intentional choice that we have to make over and over and over again. Let's look back at our text, Ephesians chapter 5. I want to skip down to verse, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Wives, submit to your husbands. Hmm. When you hear the word submit, what comes to your mind? Unfortunately, as a result of days gone by, when concepts such as these were used to keep women underneath the thumb of men, I suspect that for many of you, when you hear the word submit, you immediately think of the idea of subjugation. Yet, subjugation is not biblical submission. In fact, the moment that somebody tells you, serve me, is the moment that biblical submission is no longer possible. See, biblical submission is a choice. When Christ is there in the garden with the weight of the world crushing him, pressing down on his shoulders, so much so that he begins to sweat great drops of blood, he prays to the Father and says, Father, if there's any any other way by which to do this, please let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Elsewhere, Christ will say that he could call legions of angels to him to rescue him if he so desired. You see, he didn't have to go to the cross. He could have chosen at any moment in time to say, nope, I'm done, and called legions of angels to come. Yet he chose to submit to the will of the Father. Biblical submission is a choice. And wives are asked to choose to yield to the leadership of their husbands and wives who choose to do so, who choose to practice biblical submission, choose to respect their husbands, choose to never tear him down in public and follow his leadership, provided that that leadership isn't contrary to the word of God. It's not always, oftentimes easier said than done. Yet, the essence of Christianity is to do that which is difficult simply because God asks us to do so. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Most of you are aware that there are four different Greek words used for love. There's eros, the idea of erotic love, a sensual, romantic kind of love. Phileo, where we get the idea of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Storge, which is the love that a father has for his children. And then agape, which is the word used here. What's interesting is throughout Greek literature, storge, eros, phileo, they're used with quite regularity. But agape is used only rarely. Yet in the New Testament, agape is the word for love that is most predominantly used. It's the word that describes Christ's love as he goes to the cross for you and me. It's the word that describes the love of God as he sends his son into the world. Agape It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's the choice to put another's well-being before your own. It's sacrificial love, which is the kind of love that husbands are called to have for their wives. And husbands that practice sacrificial love choose to put their wives' needs before their own, regardless of the cost. And choose to lead her into a deeper relationship with Christ. In his book, Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas proposes the, poses the question that perhaps marriage was at least in part created to help us be holier. That as we go through day-to-day life in a marital situation, we have the opportunity to help hone each other, to help each other to, become, to look more like Christ. As I was preparing this lesson, I couldn't help but wonder If perhaps the commands to practice biblical submission and sacrificial love, if it didn't strike right at the core of our selfish human nature, if it didn't strike right at the core of our most innate desires. In my own experience, I've seen many women willingly practice the idea of sacrificial love. It seems to be the essence of being a mother. The idea of giving and giving and giving and giving and giving giving until you have nothing left. And yet, I've seen some of these same ladies struggle to respect and struggle to show submission towards their husband. And on the flip side, I've seen men who willingly followed others and who readily practiced respect, yet who struggled to sacrificially love their wives. And so I can't help but wonder if perhaps these commands strike right at the heart of our most innate natural desires. And when we choose to practice biblical submission and sacrificial love, if we're not denying that which is most natural, if we're not readily practicing the idea of choosing to do that which is difficult, to deny that which is natural in pursuit of holiness. You don't have to be married very long. To know that there are days when practicing these commands are easier than others. And I wonder on those days if it's helpful to think of God in terms of father-in-law. You know, we talk about God being our father a lot, and certainly we should, for he is. But just as he is my father, so he is Aurora's father. And I wonder if as we choose to do what God has asked us to do, choose to practice biblical submission, and sacrificial love, even when it's difficult, I can't help but wonder if God looks at us and says, thank you. Thank you for loving my child. You know, I know that they're not perfect. They have their shortcomings too. I know that better than anybody. But thank you for choosing to love them. In spite of that. Thank you for trying to help shape them to look more like I want us to sing one verse of the servant song. And as we do that, I want you to think about the areas of your lives where you struggle to deny that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness. And I want you to commit that as, we go through, as you go through this week, that as you go through today, in fact, as you get up out of this seat, that you're going to try to deny that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness. Lord, make me a servant. Lord, make me like you. For you are a servant. Make me one too. Lord, make me a servant. Do what you must do to make me a servant. Make me like you. The essence of Christianity is to deny that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness. Whether you're living a life of service, putting those before yourself, or whether you're choosing in your marital relationships to practice biblical submission and sacrificial love, the reality is that life isn't easy. It's hard. It's denying what comes natural simply because God has asked you to do it. But when we choose to do what God has asked us to do, regardless of its difficulty, we communicate to Him, we love you. We can't wait to be with you. We want to be just like you. And i got to think that that warms the heart of our Father as He looks at His children, seeking to be Him, seeking to imitate Him. If it doesn't fill Him with a sense of, Pride, because we are seeking to imitate him. Perhaps you're here today and the idea of warming the heart of our God, warming the heart of your Father appeals to you. And you want to commit to, to beginning a life to please him. Well, it starts with choosing to put him on in baptism. And there's nothing that would warm the heart of our God more than for you choosing today to become his child. Or perhaps you've been giving in to your natural innate desires more than you've been denying. And you want to choose that today you're going to commit to denying that which comes natural in pursuit of holiness, knowing that as you do so, our God, your Father, looks upon you, heart warmed with a sense of pride, because his child is seeking to imitate him. If there's any way we can assist you, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.